there, listener, and welcome once again to The Theatre, the podcast of the Royal College of Surgeons of England. Today we are bringing you our Black History Month special, featuring the amazing Miss Samantha Tross, orthopedic consultant, as interviewed by Corinne bailey Barefield, our Diversity and Inclusion Manager here at the college. It's a really great conversation about Samantha's own personal journey that touches on a few other themes as well, such as social responsibility and Black History Month itself. We really hope you enjoy it and get a lot out of it. Next month, we will be bringing you a new conversation about how educational and clinical supervisors can support trainee well-being. In the meantime, if you would like to propose an episode topic or leave us some feedback, you can drop us a message on social media or get in touch with us via email at podcasts at rcseng.ac.uk. We would love to hear from you. And of course, if you would be so kind as to subscribe or leave us a review on whatever platform you happen to be listening on, that would be much appreciated. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. What we're doing is we're highlighting the achievements of Black people, what's happened historically and also what's taking place currently. A chance for us to celebrate ourselves and to educate those outside of the Black community about our achievements because so often they they go unnoticed. If you want to grow, you're never going to grow in a situation where you're comfortable. You've got to be uncomfortable. When an event occurs, it's just an event until we give it meaning, okay? So there's an interpretation of what's gone on and an identification with it. So if you feel somehow insecure about a particular thing and then someone says it to you, that's when it's going to hurt. If you feel good about yourself and someone says it, 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 it doesn't have that impact. So we have to also do work on ourselves. Because I love that word when you break it down, responsibility. It's response-ability. So you have the ability to change your response. So we have to take ownership. Hi, my name is Corinne and I'm the DNI manager at RCS England. Welcome to our Black History Month special. This year's theme is Saluting Our Sisters, which highlights the crucial role that Black women have played in shaping history inspiring change and breaking barriers and shattering stereotypes in their respective fields. Today, I would like to introduce my guest for today, which is Miss Samantha Tross. So Sam is a consultant surgeon and in 2005 became the first black female orthopedic surgeon in Britain. And she has been regularly recognized as one of the most influential black Britons in the annual power list and as part of BHM as a woman in STEM. Sam was also the British long jump champion so <laughs> welcome Sam I had, I had to get that in there welcome Sam <laughs> my gosh uh, that took me way back <laughs> I'm sure well I mean I'm sure lots of people would want to know so you went from long jump to surgery so <laughs> tell us how did how did that happen well look I was always very sporty I like to think that I'm still very sporty but the body tells me otherwise um so at school I undertook a lot of sports I was a sprinter long jumper uh, my, my specialist events were 100 and 200 meters in long jump. And at school, I 
when I represented my school in part of the West Midlands, it was an independent schools competition. And I won my event and then I represented the West Midlands at the national championships. And uh, I came second in the 200. I can't remember where I came in the, in the 100, but I came first in long jump. And so I became the national champion. And that was a very, very long time ago. <laughs> I think I was 14 <laughs> years old or something like that. <laughs> so, but, but in terms of surgery, you know, that surgery has always been a li um, lifelong dream. Apparently at age seven, I made a declaration. I was apparently stood in the middle of the living room and I said to my parents, I'm going to be a surgeon when I grow up. And I don't know why I didn't say doctor, I said surgeon. And people always ask me, well, you know, why surgeon? And to be honest with you, I don't know. What I do know is that my mom is a nurse and I visit her, visited her in hospital. And so I was familiar with the hospital setting. I lost one of my best friends to tetanus when I was quite young you know, uh, and, you know, went to her funeral. So I, I recall that very vividly. I remember the death of my grandmother at age three, actually, because my mother was so traumatized by it. So that's my earliest living memory. So, so witnessed death at a young age. And I used to read a lot and maybe read about a doctor in a book, I don't know, or a surgeon. So that was it. And so throughout my whole school, everything was geared to getting into medical school. So what have been some of the barriers in terms of you getting into surgery? What have been some of the barriers that you've, you've faced or the challenges that you've faced on your journey? Yeah, I would say, I mean, when, when I reflect back now from where I am, I, I would say the probably the biggest barrier I faced was overcoming self-doubt and also facing the fear of failure. And of course, the racism and sexism and microaggressions felt along the way fed into that. I was thinking about this. So I mean, at, when I was at school in Guyana, we had to achieve at least 80% uh, in all subjects or else we were caned. We had to excel. And so for me, I always, I, I, just, I just have this drive to succeed. And I fear failure for that very fact that I used to be punished if, if, if I failed. Uh, and, and so when I then, on top of that, face microaggressions where people were telling you at school, oh, uh, you know, you're a black woman, you shouldn't go into medicine, it's not going to be possible. Uh, I remember my school teacher was, I think I, they, they thought they were trying to be helpful. I also heard the same thing when I was training one of my hospitals that you know, you're a black woman, surely you don't want to think about orthopedics because you know you're unlikely to get in, etc. Then there were other situations where sometimes I was felt I was made to feel excluded, where because you're in the minority, people who have similar characteristics would be talking and then it wouldn't be an in, in, inviting environment. And, and so I was made to feel less than. Um, so, so these are some of the barriers I, I, I faced in, in orthopedics in particular. There are not many women. And so I think most of the adversity I felt was sexism. But of course, racism could have been involved. Sometimes it's very difficult to, to really put your finger on that. But uh, I think overall, it was, it was what I had to do. And that was to overcome self-doubt overcome the fear of failure and, and so be better able to put myself into situations where I wasn't 100% confident I was going to be successful. That's a difficult thing. So, you know, applying for positions which I may not have been successful at, I had to really work on myself to be able to put myself forward for those positions. Yeah. You mentioned being caned at school um, and it's definitely something 
that I can relate to and think about when my grandmother came over from the Caribbean and that's very much that legacy of slavery and how, you know, that that has continued. Like, how did that make you feel? Well, obviously, I, 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 it made me feel scared to, to, to face the punishment. It was painful. Um, it was often in, in the palm of your hand, but it could sometimes be in the back of your legs. It was done in the front of the class, in front of other pupils. So that sense of shame. Um, yeah, it, it, was, it wasn't a nice feeling. And, and so I worked very hard to make sure I got the grade so I didn't spend too much time <laughs> at the front of the class being caned. So, so yes, but, but it, it has stayed with me. And I, I can't, even now, and I've done a lot of self-development work, but I still have to really push myself into situations where I, 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 I'm not 100% sure of myself. I was going to say, how do you work through that? It's a continuous process. I don't think one day it's suddenly gone, but it does become easier to face those challenges head on and to know that really that success and failure are two sides of the same coin. And you just, you, unless you push yourself through that, through failure, you, you won't get to that successful other side. But that, that takes work and, I, and I, I keep doing it. You know, it's a, it's a continuous process. But if you want to grow, you're never going to grow in a situation where you're comfortable. You've got to be uncomfortable. And once you once you learn that and accept that, it becomes a bit easier. Yeah, it's uh, something that my best friend always says. <laughs> <laughs> always that reminder that you've got to get uncomfortable to grow. But oof. Yeah, you have to. It's it's hard. It's hard. What are the differences in terms of? So you talked a little bit about your experience around racism. Obviously, that's harder sometimes to you know to know. But also, you talked a bit about sexism and what that's like being. Or what's it like being a woman in surgery? Yeah, it was, you know, it it was interesting. Uh, you know, sometimes it was good to be the only female because you, you stood out and, and and sometimes people took care of you. This, my, my fellow trainees made me feel like one of the boys. Um, and so they, they, they sort of welcomed me into the fold. But when I got outside of my comfortable group, because, you know, when you go into hospital placements, you're not necessarily with your cohort. And you're meeting other people from other rotations, and and sometimes they 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 made they excluded me, but I was I was also very fortunate that in my training I came across quite a few women, which is very unusual in orthopedics. Uh, so that helped. But you know there were there were a lot of situations where, for instance, I I, I mentioned the uh, the fear of failure. So I wouldn't necessarily put myself forward for certain situations. And we, uh, as an example, I would be at a particular hospital and the consultant would come with a list of cases and say, right, who's done this case before, you know, as a DHS or something. And I, I might have done one or I hadn't done, you know, not many. I wasn't confident. So I wasn't sort of putting myself forward. And then the, the guys would say, oh, I've done six or seven. Or, and, uh, you know, some of them not having done any more than I had done. But they were just very confident. And so they would always be sent to theater and I'd be sent to clinic. So in that sense where you didn't have, until I reached you know, a hospital where a particular consultant said, well, you know, when I said, oh, I hadn't done it, he said, well, that's going to change today. Today you're going to do it. But, but there's other, other hospitals where it's easier for the consultant. If they can find someone to do it, then that meant they could go off and do whatever it is they wanted to go off and do. So there were difficulties there. There were some hospitals where I think consultants were trying to have a laugh. I remember working in one particular hospital doing a hip replacement assisting, I wasn't doing it, I was a trainee, 
and they made me hold this very heavy leg throughout the whole operation. Well, at the time I knew no better. I thought one had to hold it. But of course, now being the, the consultant doing the operation, I realized it wasn't necessary. And they were having a laugh at my expense. And again, that whole fear of failure, I wasn't going to put it down. But I tell you, by the time I left that operation, my arms felt like they were going to fall off. So, so you were put into these sort of situations quite often. And so I, for me, I, I felt, and, and again, you see, that could have been sexism. It could have been racism. But I was never sure. But what I did know was that there weren't that many women in orthopedics. And so I, I made that assumption. I made that assumption because having grown up in Guyana, a country where black people are a significant part of the community, and at the time of growing up there, black people were in positions of authority, I didn't assume that it was my color that was going to be a barrier to me within this specialty. I assumed it was going to be my sex. And so that was my default when things were going wrong. I made that assumption, but I think it could have been a mixture of, of, of more than one thing. You mentioned that you saw like quite a, a few women as you were coming up. Were any of the women that you saw black women or were there any like role models that you had within that space? Yeah, no, there, there were no other black women. Um, the first female surgeon I ever saw was a lady called Alison Hume, who's a pediatric orthopedic consultant at Chelsea and Westminster. And uh, I was a medical student and she was a registrar. But I thought, oh my goodness, this is a female surgeon. And so I was tremendously impressed. I don't know that we, we interacted much, but I didn't need to interact with her. Just seeing her in that position was enough. And then I... I, I made a decision I want to go into orthopedics primarily because of the surgeons I work with who were very helpful. In fact, one of them remained a sponsor throughout my whole career. But I, I chose orthopedics for a number of reasons, but one of them was of seeing a female in orthopedic surgery. And then whilst I was on the training program, I heard about Deborah Eastwood and Karen Daly, who were uh, quite prominent consultants. Karen Daly was a, consult was a trainee in my region, and Deborah Eastwood, I think, was also still a trainee at that point. It was very early in my career, or she might have been an early consultant. But I heard people talk about them. I didn't actually meet them, but just knowing that they were there. And then, of course, further down the line, we had Dame Claire Marks and, and so on. And so I saw them. But as a trainee, there were some other registrars. So there, was, there were, I think, four or five females on my rotation in my cohort. Is that right? There were four of us, actually. There were, sorry, there were four of us in my cohort, but there were some others uh, in the year below. So I, in my region, there were a few. And then when I rotated through Swindon, which was in the Wessex rotation, I met another female trainee there. And then when I, was, when I worked at the Mayday Hospital as an SHO, coming to think of it, prior to getting onto the rotation, my senior SHO was female, as was my registrar. So, so I think I was very fortunate in that sense that I was, I was, I was at least seeing some women uh, and, and that helped. And what difference do you think that has made to your life as a woman and also as a black woman, seeing that visibility, whether it was, you know, a, a black surgeon or uh, another woman who works in orthopedics, how important has that visibility been and the difference has it made? Well, I, look, I think seeing, I had, I had focused on becoming a surgeon and I was going to do that whether I saw the women or not. Um, but seeing them made me feel more encouraged. I also remember my, my, my sponsor at the time who was, who was called Richard Earlham. 
and he made me go and meet Professor Avril Mansfield, who, although is a different, especially a woman of prominence, doing very well. So these things were very, very encouraging and, and made me realize that, that it was possible. But, but I, I feel I'm the kind of person that even if I didn't see them, once I'd made up my mind on following something, I would have followed it through. But it was, it, it was helpful to, to, to have other women to talk to, to share some of the experiences and the difficulties. Uh, that, that, that made a difference. It made, it, it made the journey a little bit easier. So why orthopedics? And did you, did you know that you would be the first black woman? I certainly did not know, and I'm very grateful that I didn't, um, because I think that would have been an unnecessary burden. I did hear talk of a, a black female orthopedic surgeon who I think was at a staff grade level. Uh, someone had mentioned they'd come across her at one hospital or the other. So, so there were other black women in orthopedics, but, but no one had made it as a, as a consultant. Why did I choose orthopedics? Well, um, I excelled at anatomy. And, and so that made me consider surgery. And also when I, when I did all those medical ward rounds, I saw a lot of chronicity, which I, which I realized I didn't like. And, I, and, I, and what, what really drew me to surgery was the fact that, well, in orthopedics, anyway, you, you, you have a, 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 an intervention and you can see your results relatively quickly. Now, some surgical specialties are not like that, but orthopedics certainly lends itself to that. Also, you've got young and old, male and female patients. Patients are generally well. They just have an injured body part. And therefore, that, that means that they're going to do quite well and, and, and they're not going to stay in hospital languishing for weeks on end. I like the fact that unless you work in a trauma center, you can put the patient in a splint or a plaster and you can do the surgery during sociable hours. You know, the fact that they had so many subspecialties. So there was really there something for everyone. If you like the more delicate end of surgery or you want the more physical end of surgery, there just seemed to be something in there for, you know. So the whole thing, plus I mentioned the female orthopedic surgeon. So altogether, it seemed the ideal specialty for me. And I, I have no regrets. Do you find within orthopedics that you are able to have a good work-life balance? Because obviously that's something that's talked about quite a lot within surgery. It's better now. As a trainee, it was, that was extremely difficult. I mean, I, I trained in the air when we were doing a one and two. And you go on duty on a, on a weekend. You, you start your call duty on a Friday and you don't finish until Monday morning. And, and very, having very minimal rest during that time. So, so it was very difficult then. Uh, as, a, as you become a consultant, you, you, you have a bit more time. I don't think I've ever been very good at, I haven't um, excelled, I would say, at, at, at having the work-life balance, but I, I, I'm making more of a concerted effort now. Just to change tack a little bit, I know you've talked a bit about your own experience with barriers and things like that, but I'm wondering what, as someone who was part of the Kennedy review, what do you see as being some of the biggest issues that are facing black surgeons in particular today? Yeah, so a number, a number of challenges for black surgeons. I, you know, I think discrimination is, is one of them that a lot of them uh, still talk about. And, you know, from the recent uh, NHS survey that when we talk about discrimination, the highest number of responders were for ethnic discrimination. Uh, and I know as being part of a black surgical network that unfortunately some of the experiences that I uh, experienced many, many years ago 
people are still experiencing, which which is disappointing. So so discrimination is definitely one of them. And then again, the the BMJ report, uh, when which came out in 2022, uh, a lot of BAME because they grouped it together, it wasn't black specifically, felt that they weren't getting access to senior roles or getting the support necessary to get into those roles. So, so we know that that discrimination is, 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 is certainly felt and, and, and I think it would say is there. Differential attainment is another problem. Uh, at a number of levels, we, we find there's a less uh, entry of black doctors into medical school, and then they, they, they don't perform as well on medical school exams. And this is despite having the similar grades to get into medical school. They, they, they then underperform, so something's going wrong. Yeah, and do you, do you see any changes uh, yes, but yeah, I'll come back because I want to go through what, what I see, and then I come back to the changes. So, so I think the, you know we find on the the ARCP, that's the Annual Review of Competency, black doctors are not performing as well there. They're not doing as well in getting the MRCP and FRCS exams. So, so all across the board, we're having on on the performance. Is it getting better? I, the data some some reports have seen show that in terms of attainment that the gap is, is slowing, but, but it's not, it's not a, an appreciable improvement. Uh, and, and I know on the back of that, particularly after the George Floyd murder and so on, that a, a number of institutions are looking at that and, and, and trying to address ways in which this can be tackled. Uh, and I'm hoping that, but obviously that change takes time. Uh, and I'm hoping that were we to have this conversation in another couple of years, that would have improved. Uh, but, but certainly there has not been a significant appreciable improvement to date. Black doctors are also facing difficulties getting consultant jobs. That report that came out, uh, I think it was in 2021, which, which showed that as a black doctor, you were six times less likely on average than a white doctor to get a consultant post. And in some hospitals, as much as 15 times less likely. And then when you get into the job, you're more likely to refer to the GMC. You're more likely to face sanctions once you refer to the GMC and more likely to be struck off. So there are a number of areas in which black doctors are facing difficulties. And what would you like to see change? I would like to see equity across the specialties. So number of doctors reflective of, of, of doctors that you see of nationalities, ethnicities that you see in uh, society. I'd like to see that. I'd like the workplace to be more welcoming, where you feel that you can be your authentic self and you can feel a sense of belonging. I would like to see something being done. I mean, I, I don't have the answers as to why black doctors are underperforming, but I think we need to look at, I think that there's a lot of focus on the curricula but we have to look at who's delivering the curricula, you know? Um, so we need to have more black trainers and educators because, you know, there, there must be something in the way it's being delivered, the, the, the teaching, as to why the doctors, because we know they're capable. They did well enough to get to medical school, so they're capable. In the workplace, I'd like to see better access to opportunities and support because, you know, giving appropriate feedback to the surgeons, if they're not performing well, then to tell them in a timely fashion so they can make the adjustments so that they can get through. When doctors fail at, at, at interview to get a post, to give them feedback on, on ways that they can be they can improve. So, so be proactive, just to ensure that that we can we can redress the imbalance that, that that's there there at present.
Yeah, I, I think that those are some of the key areas. You um you mentioned you know ensuring that places are more welcoming and that people are able to be their authentic self and belong you know in that sense of belonging and it's something that we we talk about a lot at the college, but definitely something that lots of institutions and organisations struggle with. I think the easy part is the diversity part. It's, it's getting people in job. It's it's fairly easy, but it's then keeping them. How how would you suggest we do that? <laughs> oh well, that that one is difficult. I wish if I had the answer, then you know things would be so much easier. But it, it's about educating. We all have to educate ourselves on both sides of the of the of the coin, and it's about reading, educating. So so those who are in a position of power, who often tend to be white, need to understand cultural differences and so on with with people. So you you got to educate yourself. You got to put yourself in positions where these people are. So so. Whether there's there's reverse mentoring or whatever, but you have to try and see things through their eyes. And unless you normally socialize with people of a different ethnicity, you there's certain things that you won't get, certain nuances. So you have to to that, that comes from education. You can read it in a book, but you have to actually put yourself in physically in these situations and and sort of so try and understand the cultural differences. And and I think on the other side, black people need to empower themselves. Because when an event occurs, it's just an event until we give it meaning, okay? So there's an interpretation of what's gone on and an identification with it. So if you feel somehow insecure about a particular thing and then someone says it to you, that's when it's going to hurt. If you feel good about yourself and someone says it, 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 it doesn't have that impact. So we have to also do work on ourselves to improve whatever insecurities we have so that we can bolster ourselves. And also there's got to be a little bit of room to, to allow people to make mistakes because as we try to close that gap some things are going to be said on both sides that that may be wrong unintentionally. And we, there's got to be room for forgiveness because if we don't allow people to make error, then people will be scared to even try. Yeah, I definitely see that as one of the issues is people just being scared to say anything for fear of getting it wrong. But we have to have, we have to be open to allowing that. And I agree with what you said. I mean, I think, for some people, what you said around, you know, as black people, we also need to take that responsibility. I 100% agree with you. I think uh, a lot of people would, um, yeah, maybe struggle with that. Yes, I, I don't think a lot of people want to hear it, but it's a fact. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I um, absolutely, I absolutely agree. It, this is, it's not one-sided, mm-hmm. and I, I think that is, is part of the problem, you know. I think people need to, yeah, also take responsibility, you know, and and be more open. Because I love that word when you break it down, responsibility. It's responsibility. Mm. So you have the ability to change your response. So we have to take ownership. Wow. I love that. <laughs> That's really great. You know? <laughs> so I just want to ask you, as this is our... Black History Month special. I'm curious to know what Black History Month means to you. Yeah, you know, Black History Month is a time to, I think, a time to stop, pause, reflect on the achievements of Black people to date, a chance to re-educate myself. I'm always learning something new in Black History Month. There's something that comes up, like, oh, I didn't know that. 
So, so there's a chance to learn. There's a chance, really, you know, what we're doing is we're highlighting the achievements of Black people, what's happened historically, and also what's taking place currently. A chance for us to celebrate ourselves and to educate those outside of the Black community about our achievements, because so often they, they go unnoticed. Uh, and, 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 and in highlighting these achievements, hopefully inspire the, the next generation to know that they can also achieve. Yeah, and I think this year in particular, I think having the theme uh, around saluting our sisters was uh, it's lovely, isn't it? <laughs> it was. It's 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 so nice to see. Um, <laughs> it's been a real pleasure. So it's really nice to have you on the podcast today. Um, Not at all. My pleasure. Thank you, Sam. Okay. Bye bye. Thank you for listening. As I said up top, we will be coming back next month with a new episode on how educational and clinical supervisors can support trainee well-being. We have a lot of other interesting things planned for you as well, so please do stay tuned. We've got some great episodes on the horizon as well as some really exciting podcast news that I think you're all going to find really interesting. Just going to have to wait a little bit longer for that. Once again, please do feel free to get in touch with us. We would love to hear from you. We really value your feedback. And of course, for any further updates and news from the college, please visit our website or follow us on social media. Thank you so much.